Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome Welcome back back to to Mama Mama Mystery. Mystery. I am your host. This, we're not restarting anymore. This is the third go-round. We had this thing. Go ahead, Kelly. What were we going to do? Ready? Welcome, Welcome back, back to, to Mama, Mama Mystery. And, and happy, happy Halloween. Halloween. I am your host, Kelly. And I am your awesome co-host, Austin. Oh, man. Kelly, How- read them the review about people loving me. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Well, we got a couple of new reviews. This actually wasn't a review, though. The reviews, we did get some good ones, but this was a message through our mystery.com site where you can like request a case Mm -hmm. and this person is allison shout out allison thanks she she like completely blew austin's head up so we're gonna go ahead and read this this message it says would you like to read it austin no go ahead i don't know how to read Okay. I love your show. Austin is awesome. He is too funny. I love how you give a hard time and bust his balls, but he cracks me up. I don't know what it is because he's not really that funny. He just for some reason comes out with the most random comments. I love it. I'm excited. I love your show. (laughs) I think that's a really nice backhanded compliment. Thanks, Allison. I don't know why I find it so funny. It's like the sweetest thing. It is so funny to me. Like, he's so funny, and he's not actually that funny, but he's funny. (laughs) I love it. So thank you, Allison, for taking time out of your day to send that to us. And we have some new Patreons to thank. Are you ready, Austin? Let's do it. Okay, we have Rebecca Douglas. Thanks, Rebecca. Kara McAnally. Very cool. Brooke Miles. Dope. Maria Ortiz. Hell yeah. Tori. Okay. And Tori, no last name. Okay. <laughs> Just, yay. Still dope. Awesome. Angelina Trader. Well, hell yes. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, guys. You know what we could use, Kelly? What? Some reviews. <laughs> well, we got a couple new reviews, and they were really good. I know. People, keep the reviews coming, please. We really enjoy them. I wake up, Kelly sends them to me, and uh, yeah. It starts our day off on the right foot, for sure. Let's dive in so the new listeners don't think that we lollygag every episode. Right. Okay, so this was requested by Ray. Thank you, Ray, for your request. Does Ray have a last name? I don't know. So uh, this episode... What, what What if we got a request from somebody like... This is requested from Ray, and this episode is about a guy named Ray, and he was a killer, and he was wanting us to cover him for attention. <sighs> Wouldn't that be some that wild would be shit? Crazy. Some wild shit. Go that ahead. would be wild. Okay. Anyway, this is about Joe Metheny. Have you ever heard of this guy? Okay, no, no, you haven't. Okay, no, so just say no. So I'm going to tell you about him. Okay. Quit being a smartass. Number one <laughs> and number two. I'm about to kind of lay down on the floor and probably not be near the mic for a little while. Go. All right. Well, Joseph Roy Metheny was born on March 2nd, 1954, in Baltimore, Maryland. He was one of six kids. Joe's father was, unfortunately, an alcoholic. And when he, when Joe was only six years old, his father was killed in a car accident. 
So after his death, his mother, Jean, really struggled to keep their heads above water. So she worked all the time doing various jobs like waitressing, bartending, driving a food truck even. Her constant work schedule ultimately kind of neglected the kids at home. So Joe and his siblings were often sent to live with other families for various periods of time. In school, Joe was an above-average student who was polite and gentle. He always exhibited good manners in school, but by the 1970s, Joe left the family to go be on his own. He joined the Army in 1973 when he was 19 years old. And while he was in the Army, he studied physics, and he claims that he was stationed in Vietnam for some period of time, but there's not an actual record of that. So we don't know what the truth is there, but we know that regardless of where he was, it was at this time he became hooked on cocaine and heroin. After his stint in the military, he came home to Baltimore, and it was here that he drifted through homeless camps, sleeping in filthy tents or in sleeping bags under bridges, and he made no attempt to contact any of his family. Throughout the camp, he was known for his drug use and his temper. He was six foot one and really overweight, and I'm talking like 450 pounds. So he had a very domineering presence amongst this community. But somehow, despite being a homeless drug addict, I'm sorry, it's not funny. It's just this whole story is going to blow your mind because I just I keep asking myself how, how, how. So despite being homeless and a drug addict, addicted to cocaine and heroin, he was able to get a job as a forklift driver, and he held that job pretty well, earning a reputation for being dependable, intelligent, well-spoken, and very well-mannered. Okay, how? I, I don't know. Eventually, Joe meets this lady named Latifah. I'm pretty sure that is her name. It was really hard to find a lot of the specific information about the people involved in his life and his victims, but I'm pretty sure her name was Latifah. But anyway, Latifah unfortunately struggled with addiction as well. But regardless, they fell in love, they got married, and they ended up having a son together. Six years go by, and Joe is maintaining his job as a forklift driver. He's able to support his family by keeping a roof over their heads, but sadly, he and his wife are still badly addicted to drugs. And then one night in July of 1994, Joe gets home from work, it's late, and when he opens the door to his house, he sees that everything in his house, including his wife and child, are gone. And he realizes she took everything and left him. This sent Joe into an absolute rage. He was determined to find her and his son and get back at her for what she's done to him. So he goes to all their usual places. Notably, he goes to their frequent trap house to see if he can figure out where she went. One of their drug dealers tells him that she's with some guy who's pimping her out on the other side of town. Other side of town. So he goes then to this bridge, and it's known as the Hanover Street Bridge. And under this bridge, he doesn't find his ex, but he does find two homeless guys that allegedly were getting high with his ex before. Their names were Randall Brewer and Randy Piker. He asked them if they've seen his ex, and they say no. And not satisfied with that answer, Joe goes and finds an axe. He comes back to the bridge, and he finds these two men passed out under a mattress or on a mattress under the bridge. And he attacks them both with this axe, killing them, and then leaving their bodies right there on the mattress under the bridge. 
Good Lord, that's gruesome. Yeah. Just wait. That same night, he runs into a sex worker and lures her to the bridge where he just killed those two men. He admits that he lured her there under the guise of giving her drugs. He got her high, and then he tried to get information out of her regarding his ex's whereabouts, but she wasn't able to help him. So he admitted later on that he beat, raped, and killed her. And then he went out and sought another victim. He found another sex worker, did the exact same thing to her as he did the previous one. And after he killed her, he attempted to put her body in the bushes along a riverbank and noticed that there was a man fishing down there who happened, literally just so happened to look up and make eye contact with Joe. So Joe grabbed a steel pipe that was laying on the ground, ran up to him and hit the man over the head with a pipe. And then he tied his body to rocks and throwed him in, threw him. Did I say throwed? You said throwed. If I said that, I would get ridiculed. Go ahead, continue. Threw him in the river along with the other two women that he put in the bushes. Five murders in seven hours. And get this, Austin, he was actually arrested for the murders of the two men who were found on the mattress. And he sat in jail for about a year and a half, awaiting trial for those murders. But ultimately, the trial lasted about one week, and he was acquitted due to lack of evidence. So he was let go, even though he's allegedly told law enforcement that he committed three other murders that same night. But I couldn't figure out if he admitted to that before or after this trial. He also admitted that they weren't even his first victims. His first victim was actually a year prior in 1994 when he claimed that he murdered a sex worker named Kathy Ann Magaziner and buried her body in a shallow grave at the factory where he worked. Six months after burying her, he returned to the grave site, dug up her body, and took her head, placed her head in a box, and threw it in the trash. Oh my gosh. That That's like is that might so be the crazy. most gruesome thing you've ever said. Oh Austin, it gets worse. Oh great, I can't wait. Joe eventually found out where his ex and child were. So about 6 months after she took off, he found out that she was living on the other side of town with this man who was prostituting her out for drugs and that the child was taken away and given to the state. Joe knew, though, that he, had, he didn't stand a chance going to Child Protective Services with his criminal, criminal record, his current condition, being addicted to drugs. He knew he didn't stand a chance. But even after he learned this, his motivation to kill and that rage for wanting revenge on his ex, he, he went from having that as his motivation to kill to then just literally saying he started killing because he enjoyed it. And that he got a thrill out of it, that he got a high out of it, and that was his only motivation. In November of 1996, Joe killed a woman named Kimberly Lynn Spicer after meeting her at a bar and taking her back to his trailer. So you see, he was living at this trailer on the property of where he worked, which was called Joe Stein and Sons, and it was a pallet company. And if you can imagine this big factory on a lot, and then the trailer was positioned on this lot, and the whole property was surrounded by gates. So it was also located at the end of a dead-end road, making it very isolated. Joe had convinced his boss to let him stay in that trailer so he could keep an eye on the place at night. 
So obviously this is perfect for everything Joe's trying to do. Joe takes Kimberly back to his trailer. He tried to come on to her and she resisted. So he killed her by stabbing her 26 times all over her body, including in her face and neck. And after she had already passed, he inserted a beer bottle inside of her. And that is how she was found, ultimately. Um, She was found in that condition, which is just really, really disturbing. He claims that he also took a couple more, he calls them crack whores, to his trailer, killed them and butchered up their bodies. And in a later confession, Austin, he said, quote, I cut the meat up and put it in some Tupperware bowls and then put it in a freezer. I buried the remains in several shallow graves in little woods behind the company. And over the next couple weeks on the weekends, I opened up a little open pit beef stand. I had real roast beef and pork sandwiches. The human body tastes very similar to pork. Oh, my God. What, what year did this happen? 96. Okay, listen. I, I don't mean to go off topic. I've heard before, like back in like the 40s or the 50s, there was a guy that used to murder people and he would sell their um, all their like meat mm-hmm. and and people said that it tasted like a, like a sweet pork and it was super good and people didn't know that they were eating human. Yeah. He literally finishes this quote saying, if you mix it together, no one can tell the difference. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. This sick fuck was grilling up human remains and serving them to customers and nobody knew the difference. Like, let that sink in. How many times do you love going to like a food truck and you just like, you you get the meat, like you just assume everyone is like a good person. I mean, I would imagine, let me like, just for some benefit of the doubt, obviously, like I would not be going to some factory parking lot and some creepy dude's like trailer open pit beef stand to buy my lunch. Like that is just not, I wouldn't really trust it. <laughs> but obviously other people were and business was booming because at one point he ran out of what he called his special meat and had to lure another woman to his trailer to like get more meat. That's bonkers. Can you imagine how many people out there found out after that I wonder how many people were like, holy shit, I ate from that beef stand, like, or that, that food truck yeah, or whatever. I can't imagine finding out that you ate human. Yeah. It's pretty wild. I can't either. So anyway, he goes out to lure another woman to get more meat. And the woman that he chose was Rita Kemper. And on December 8th of 1996, Joe lured Rita to his trailer and he started to assault her. He ripped her clothes off and knocked her unconscious, but she put up a pretty good fight. And at one point, she came to, Joe turned around for a moment, and she ran out the door. But remember, I said the whole property was surrounded by gates. So I think in his mind, he was like, she's not climbing over that gate. It's like an eight or ten foot tall gate. Well, miraculously, she came upon a stack of pellets that was right up against the gate, so she was able to climb those pallets and get over the gate and escape. So she ran down the road until a truck, a truck driver drove up um, and picked her up and took her to a gas station so that she could call the police. So at this point, Joe knew what was coming, so he asked a friend of his to help him bury the rest of Kimberly Spicer's body before the cops showed up. 
but the friend declined and ended up telling the police about it. So Joe was arrested, and he was ultimately sent to prison for the kidnapping and attempted sexual assault of Rita Kemper. He was sentenced to death for the murder of Kimberly Spicer, but that was later reduced to life in prison without parole. And he received a life sentence in the murder of Kathy Magaziner. And I don't know, I mean, I guess since he was acquitted of the other two murders of the men under the bridge, and then, I mean, I don't know if the names were ever even released of the other um, victims from that same night. I don't think anything ever came from that. He was acquitted from the charges of the two men. And then in regards to the man under the bridge and then the two other females, nothing ever happened, even though he admitted to it. But I guess there just wasn't enough evidence. Um, There was no body ever found. So it's just crazy that you can like admit to something like that and nothing happened. But some people do that just for notoriety. So... I guess they can't just take it at their word. You got to give people like this the death penalty. Mm-hmm. Like you have to. For sure. On August 5th of 2017, Joe Metheny was found dead in his prison cell at the age of 63. But before he died, he admitted, quote, the only thing I feel bad about in any of this is I didn't get to murder the two motherfuckers I was really after. And that's my ex old lady and the bastard she hooked up with. End quote. Man, and guy's then, a psychopath. Oh, complete psychopath. And in his confession letter, he has this whole letter written out. You can find the whole thing online that basically details this entire story. I just said it maybe a little more eloquently than he put it because he literally refers to every victim as a bitch or crack whore. But in this confession letter, he wrote, quote, Well, that's my story. Horrible but true. So the next time you're riding down the road and you happen to see an open pit beef stand that you've never seen before, make sure you think about this story before you take a bite of that sandwich. Sometimes you never know who you may be eating. Ha, ha. So he was a freak from beginning to end. Yes. And um, Google Joe Metheny just to look at his picture. I'm going to post this picture on our Instagram and and online, but Google Joe Metheny right now and look at the first picture that pops up. The guy is so creepy. Like, he looks exactly like what you would expect this man to look like. It leads you to say Joe Metheny burgers. Oh, my gosh. Oh, dear. It's like Fat Bastard on Austin Powers. Mm -hmm. But, like, worse. Oh, my. Yeah, way worse. Yeah. His teeth, his... Oh, my gosh. Look at that big old belly he's holding on to. Yeah. It's, <coughs> it's rough. Yeah, he's a dirt bag. Total dirt bag. Um, his sandwiches look like, if these are them, they just look like regular burgers. I don't know if there's any. I didn't actually see any pictures of sandwiches. That might just be... Maybe just pictures of burgers. Like uh, somebody trying to be funny. But it's not funny. It's disgusting. That's wild. So gross. Speaking of the letter. Okay. Is the story done? Mm-hmm. Okay. On another topic, the letter. Okay, so if you don't know and you're listening, I collect stuff. I, I'm like in the hobby of collecting sports memorabilia. Okay, I'm sure you've watched the Jeffrey Dahmer thing on Netflix. Oh, yes. Okay, I haven't watched it because I'm not a weirdo. Um, I know all these people have watched it. <laughs> um, his stuff is selling for stupid amounts, memorabilia right now. People bought his Bible that was signed by him from his jail cell. Um, his glasses, and I'm talking for like 
$25,000, His There was a, a housekeeper or a, I don't know, some sort of maid that before he went to prison has a bunch of his stuff and is auctioning it off, and she's made like well over a hundred grand. It's what? pretty crazy, and people are people are collecting his his stuff. Yeah, that is so sick. It reminds me of John Wayne Gacy, which we covered in episode one hundred. Um, that at the end, people were selling his paintings because he was a painter. Yeah, um, yeah. And he was trying to make money off of that while he was in prison before he died, but. Um, yeah, I don't know who's collecting stuff like that. I mean, I know there it takes all kinds, and there's weird people out there that listen to this. Jeffrey this Dahmer's stuff. prison glasses sold for a hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Jeez, isn't that nuts? That is nuts. What kind of sick freak? Like, what do you do for a living to have a hundred and fifty thousand dollars sitting around to to buy Jeffrey Dahmer's glasses? You can buy his urn for urn for two hundred fifty grand. Like his urn with the ashes in it? I guess so. I don't no know. way. Yeah, that's what it says. That makes me wonder if, like, museums, like, creepy museums are buying this kind of stuff, and maybe it's not, like, an independent person. His prison Bible sold for 10000 I think. It's nuts. We've had some requests to cover that case, and I don't, I'm kind of torn on it because some people are like, oh, my gosh, it's so overdone, and people idolize this guy, and they're making such a celebrity out of him. But then on the other hand, I'm like, this is a true crime podcast. We talk about crimes. We talk about real people. Um, I don't so, know anything about him, so. And, yeah, I, I mean, I only know from, like, what I've seen and, and heard myself. I'm sure, there, like, you could easily do a deep dive on this guy. But if you are interested in us doing an episode, tell me your thoughts either way. Um, like, if you really don't think I should or if you think we should. And, I don't know. I mean, it is an upsetting story, but most of these are. I mean, this guy was making human sandwiches, so it's not like this is a lighthearted, rosy, unicorn and rainbows podcast. So, Wasn't there another update on the Delphi murders from episode 37? Oh, my God, Austin. Yes. Okay. And just so you guys know, that wasn't scripted. I just pulled it up, and I was searching Delphi on Kelly's phone. Mm-hmm. And I searched Delphi. Episode 37 was the episode, which I know was crazy, and I remember that Well, we that just one. did an update on yeah, it. Yeah, we did ep- on episode 101. There was an update, too, which I don't even remember that. But, I think I recorded it by myself. Okay. So what happened? So a guy, all I know right now is that a man named Richard Allen was arrested in connection with the case of Liberty German and Abigail Williams, these girls on the Delphi Bridge. We've covered it twice now. It is a very popular case. A lot of people know about this case and follow it. The way I remember it was because this chick turned her phone on video and you can hear this guy say, down the hill. Yes, exactly. And And there was actual, like a picture of the guy crossing the bridge. Mm -hmm. So in the update, we discussed a lot about Keegan Klein and his involvement because he was behind this this catfish account that was talking to one of the girls, um, pretending to be this other guy. And so the, a lot of people thought Keegan was like luring her out there. We still don't know to the true extent of what Keegan Klein's involvement was. But recently, Richard Allen was arrested. He's in jail. They even put him in a special part of the jail for his safety. This guy lived five minutes from the bridge. And I don't know what information they have. Like, I don't know what drew them to him. But they're, they're going to do a press conference on Monday, which is the day this episode is going to air, um, Monday the 31st. So I'm going to be listening to that. I will post an update after I gather all that information. 
But yeah, crazy. It's so crazy. So stay tuned for that because I will be posting an update with or without you. Because that Delphi one happened what year? Oh, I think it was 2017. And it's just now getting... Like, it's crazy that they're still pursuing it. Well, it's of good. course. I mean, yeah, they they have to. But it seemed like for such a long time, there was no update. There was, there was like, no information hope. being withheld. And so it was just like, gosh, is this ever going to get solved? Like, yeah, it left a lot of people without any hope because it was just like, how on earth are they going to find this random guy? But then this guy is arrested. And there's a picture of him, Austin, online. He's sitting in a bar. And... On the wall behind him is a picture of the sketch that they released of no the suspect. Way. It's so... It gives me the chills. You got the goosebumps? Yeah, I got the goosebumps. And, uh, yeah, this guy has kids. He has a daughter and a wife. He has at least a daughter. He might have more. And there's a picture, like, of his daughter posing on the bridge, like, for, like... It looks like maybe a senior picture or, like, a professional picture. On the bridge where he killed these girls. Where he allegedly may have because we don't know for sure what he was even charged with but there was apparently a picture of his daughter that was taken on that bridge that's why insanity so we will be coming out with an update stay tuned for that i'm going to um come out with that either monday or tuesday as soon as i watch that conference because that was just like holy cow and then of course we um or I was really heavy following the Daryl Brooks trial. So I might have to tell you about that because that really consumed much of my attention for like Darryl the last Brooks. couple of weeks. Is this the guy that like drove into a parade? Yes. And then wasn't he like psycho and said he didn't drive into the parade? Or like it's he, not me? He Yeah. He, well, he represented himself and it was just a dumpster fire watching this online. But he's um, guilty. Yeah, he was found guilty. And so he's going to be, well, there's a there's a hearing tomorrow to discuss when the sentencing is going to take place. So I'll probably post an episode about that and the details of all of that after we actually hear what his sentence is going to be, which I'm, I'm sure is going to be life in prison without parole because Wisconsin does not have the death penalty. But if they did, he would certainly deserve it. Okay, that was a lot of updates. I totally did not intend on um, ending this episode with all of that, but thank you for bringing it up because uh, I I needed to. So. Yeah, babe. All right, listen hey. this week. We're going to be probably coming out with a bunch of updates. So. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Be safe. Have fun. And look out for all the drugs they're giving out in the candy nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody cares enough about your kids to give them free fentanyl and free drugs. That is so ridiculous to me. Every year it's like... Look out for the weed starburst. You know what it's similar to? You know what it's similar to is the people who are like, oh my gosh, have you heard about these furries in school? And they're having to put litter boxes in bathrooms because these kids want to be furries. And you've not, there's not one single school. If you Google it, you cannot find a single school where that is actually happening. I know they're doing furry shit, whatever that is. Well, sure. But But like, there's not actually litter boxes in bathrooms. Like, I don't think that that's actually happening, but it's just you know it's like a it's like a attention grabber to if, be like oh there's drugs and razor blades yeah. in your candy. Hey, if you've listened this far, please <laughs> give us a positive review because we're probably going to get one or two people that are like these people made jokes about jokes about candy and drugs and uh, made jokes about furries. They talk too much. Okay. Anyway, Mama. we're out. Mystery. <laughs>